the BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by mapsofmastery.com and buy.com. Well, it is August the 29th, 2010, and you are back for episode number 114. That's 114 if you're scoring at home of the Order 66 podcast. My name is GM Dave. I'll be one of your hosts this evening, and we have a fantastic show in uh, in store for you tonight and many, many guests. But to get to that, I shall introduce my partner in crime, the Kane to my Abel, the Thelma to my Louise, GM Chris. Why do I have to be Thelma? I don't know. I mean... What if I want to be Luis? Would you rather be the Sodom to my Gamora? No. Okay. Didn't think God, so. No. Didn't think so. Okay. Fair enough. I will no longer question your analogies. <laughs> Thank you. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here. For those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to the greatest role-playing game Ever to hit the page of any thing anywhere? Yeah, people roll Ever. dice and they play it. Star Wars Saga Edition. Yeah. Uh, so we 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 have some uh, some guests that are going to make this show pretty pretty awesome tonight. Some esteemed colleagues. Esteemed colleagues. Indeed. We're going to talk uh, Gen Con. We're going to talk some. Celebration 5, and we are going to bring on two individuals that, well, let's just say that they were personally involved in both. (laughs) To one extent or another. That's right. Uh, The first, welcome back to the show. Uh, It's been far too long since we've had you, sir. Mr. Sterling Hershey. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah? Still recovering from the last month. It's been very busy. Of course. We're talking about that pre-show, man. It's been it's been kind of crazy, but um, obviously Sterling, uh, noted uh, uh, Star Wars role-playing author and uh, uh, Minis guru, and just general all-around cool guy, um, will be joined by another all-around cool guy and friend of the show uh, we've had on a few times, uh, Chris Bradshaw, GM Chance. What's up, Chris? It's going great, guys. Uh, good to be back on the show and uh, seeing the Gamer Nation again. Awesome. Very nice. Oh, awesome. nice. dude, I'm, you know, overjoyed that you're back home safe and sound. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, we, uh, we have to welcome, uh, Sam Whitwer. What's going on guys? What's happening? Dude, it's oh, awesome God. to have you on the show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so is it soundboard time again? <laughs> Yeah. I gotta get in on that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh man. 
love it. Yeah, love indeed, it. indeed, indeed. So, all right, we will just get uh, right on into this. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Mm, yes. All right. Dude, featured podcast this week. Oh, lay it on me. Dude, Minnie's Mayhem. Uh, Tenny is back. He is? Maybe. Not really. He's not on the show, but he's back. <laughs> now he's back, yes. Uh, actually, Dougie had to sit in for him. Ah. This is uh, GM Brev and uh, Super Doogie are recording episode, or they did record episode number 51, Sith Happens. <laughs> nice. And they talked to talk to the Sith Lords, the new V-sets for uh, the game that will keep it going absolutely strong, right? They yeah. also... Spend time talking about the upcoming release of the original Star Wars trilogy on Blu-ray. Yes. Love it. As usual, they provide their level of fun and enthusiasm about the minis in another fantastic episode. So if you've ever considered getting into minis, but you've put that thought aside, now that they're no longer being produced, those V-sets... Might just change your mind. So give the cast a listen, learn some more, and check out these guys and all of the fantastic podcasts that we have on www.d20radio.com. Chris Sterling, have you guys heard anything about the V-sets that, are, that they're coming out with? I think Can't I heard s- something early on, but uh, I'm woefully far behind on their podcast, so... Yeah, I can't say that I have either. Uh, I didn't even hear mention of it at the show at Gen Con when the miniatures tournament was going on. So, well, I, I, I'm struggling to remember who's producing it, and I, I'm not the miniest players that, that Brevin, uh, Brevin Doug are. So, forgive me. But yeah, basically, someone is producing these these virtual sets, um, you know, with cards and all that, and you know, taking existing minis and you know, like adding paint jobs to them, and then pairing them with a new card to continue the line. Basically, um, and it's really cool. So nice. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. Well, we have juicy bits of web goodness this week. No. Um, in this week's juicy bits of web goodness, we are first featuring Fandom Comics, Clone Wars Saga Edition fan sourcebook. Now, for those of you not already in the know, Keith and Ryan, better known as, as Nar and Tron, have been producing the Clone Wars fan sourcebook way back since 2005 when they started it for RCR. Basically, what they've done is they do stats for all the obscure, like, expanded universe material from the Clone Wars era that the official material doesn't cover. Um, and this project has long since converted to Saga Edition rules and formatting. Uh, and new chapters are posted up on their website on the first of every month. Each chapter is themed and laid out in a beautiful PDF format that actually mimics the, the official Watsi format of the actual books when they were produced. Um, and they, you know, they, these are great. They often usually feature like original art of EU characters that have never before been pictured, and they got some great art resources on their fan comics side of the website. Great stuff. Uh, but the current offering uh, from August first is their droids chapter, 
120 pages featuring 47 droids done in the Scavenger's Guide to Droids style, including protocol stats and modifications. And there's also new manufacturers, traits, feats, protocol stats. Um, as I said, templates, new uses for skills and droid equipment. So great stuff. But this new chapter and the others can be downloaded for free right now at www.fandomcomics.com. F-A-N-D-O-M comics. Com. If you guys haven't checked this out, check it out. It's totally awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So the illustrations and uh, of the uh, amazing Christopher West, ex- uh, cartographer extraordinaire, for those of you that don't know, has uh, finally given us, uh, we the poor souls and great unwashed who could not go to Gen Con and get the uh, exclusive releases. <laughs> yep. So we've got the chance to taste the sweet, Sweet mana from God, right here. <laughs> That's right. Forsaken Lands double deuce. Well, single deuce. Two. I, I. Four divided by two. The poster map featuring the Badlands and the Deep Caverns and the much vaunted and pretty awesome set of cargo tiles are both available right now at mapsofmastery.com. And you guys should go right now. In fact, pause the podcast. Go. There you go. All right. We gave you time to pause the podcast, and now you should have gone and gotten your uh, sorry ass to uh, mapsofmastery.com. After all, they are a sponsor of the show now. So go. Go. Now. We'll wait. We'll wait. You know, we'll give you another pause right now. Okay. Great. Awesome. Go ahead. Buy it. Wonderful. Glad you did. And uh, now to wrap up our news, uh, here is this. This is a Holonet News Update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Due to soaring health care costs, Coruscant's Sacred Heart Hospital reprogrammed a large number of IG-86 Sentinel Battle Droids with 21B Medical Droid software. Hospital patients were terrified by the sight of what appeared to be dozens of would-be IG-88 assassin droids clanking around the hospital, checking x-rays, and filling out prescriptions. Fatal heart attacks resulting from the site claimed the lives of at least three patients. The director of the hospital, a Nymodian named Colostomy Bagger Vance, has been quoted as saying, These droids work long, hard hours and really care about their patients. Not to mention the fact that they have also saved Sacred Heart a fortune. People just need to stop all this prejudice and discrimination. Just because a droid looks like he's going to disintegrate you doesn't mean he's not really there to check your blood pressure or perform a prostrate examination. Unquote. To quell the disturbance these droids caused, hospital officials have assigned all of the IG-86 droids to the conspiratorial delusion wing of the hospital psychiatric ward. They blended in nicely with all of those patients' psychotic hallucinations. In other news, in a clear violation of freedom of speech rights, Bespin's Cloud City has outlawed all jokes, jests, anecdotes, quips, puns, wisecracks, and or tomfoolery related to the subject of passing gas. The Attorney General of Bespin, who is obligated to enforce this new law, has publicly said, quote, It's just not funny to make fart jokes when everybody works in a gas mine. It gets old real quick, dude. We're sick of it, and we're going to fine your stinky butt for being a lame 
Unquote. Tonight's update is brought to you by Mando Minis Mandalorian Armor Dry Cleaners. Let's face it, you practically live in that armor 24-7. Most dry cleaners won't touch your stinky Beskarum with a 10-foot pole. Not Mando Mini. There's nothing she appreciates more than the stench of a Mandalorian mercenary's flop sweat burned into a fine set of battle armor. Not only will she clean that smell, she'll leave all your dents and scratches on it to make sure you never look like a pansy newbie with a brand new set of armor. So get that thing cleaned at Mando Minis. Do it for yourself. Do it for the people who have to be in the same room with you. This has been a Holonet News Network update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Uh, that stuff gets to be like hockey pads. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. That's that's trouble. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Indeed, D20 Docking Bay, where you send us your questions. We answer said questions, sometimes not to your satisfaction. However, we do make an effort. <laughs> oh, we always make an effort. As I learned last week with the retard that took offense at one of my comments. Oh, we're not going there. That's right. But that's okay. We're not. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, no problem. Uh all what right, do so we the, have this week? Well, you know, first of all, get send things to the D20 Docking Bay via d20radio.com slash forum or send it to us directly, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, tweet that goodness at d20radio.com, call the loser line, area code 206-600-587-DEUCE. Deuce. Get your voice heard like the fat raconteur, a raconteur great name yeah all right so he uh, has got a few interesting questions here uh, on the forums about uh, cover concealment for slam so there are differences between cover and concealment make sense to me one hampers line of effect one hampers line of sight very different things cover provides a bonus to a target's reflex defense concealment provides a penalty to the attacker's attack roll got it so for slam can still be aimed in the general direction of someone with concealment or total concealment, and it can still hit them. Right, no attack roll, right? My question is, does the does, does that mean when targeting a foe with concealment using a force power like force slam, there's no penalty to their use the force check? As it says in the Koru book, that penalty for concealment applies to attack rolls. Also... If cover gives a bonus to reflex defense and I send a force slam down their throat, ha-ha, the bonus won't do anything to help them because it targets fortitude, right? Same applies to anything that targets will, I suppose. But I would have thought that a force slam would be somewhat impeded or diminished by cover. Perhaps I'm overthinking it. Please tell me if I am. <laughs> uh, that's actually a pretty good question. Yeah, I, I I think it is. Um, I, I'm also interested to get to get Sterling and Chris's opinion on this. I mean, in, in regards to his first question regarding um, uh, concealment penalty, uh, which of course applies to attack rolls and and not skill checks. So I mean, what rules is written? Concealment 
really wouldn't affect use the force checks, right? So, I mean, what what, what are you thinking, guys? I mean, should a, should a Jedi suffer a, a, a penalty to his use the force check, you know, to activate something like force slam or move object um, when the target has concealment? I don't think so. Yeah. No, me either. I, I think it's. I mean, you're hitting an area just as much as you're hitting a person. Yeah. So if yeah. you and if you if you throw a grenade into a smoky room. Are you, is the person still going to get hit by the grenade? Well, but that's an attack roll. I, like, I, can, I can throw the grenade in the wrong place. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm just, I'm just speaking metaphorically. You, you throw something into it, you don't know where it's going to land, but if it happens to land where it's supposed to land, then boom. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Well, my, my thought also is that, especially with Force Slam, I mean, you, yeah, I think you guys are right, but... At the same time, if we take a look at the power description for Force Slam, page 97, core rule book, um, it says, you know, you, it allows you to target all, all targets in a six-square cone and within line of sight, which would mean, if I'm correct, that, uh, you know, if you, you can't see the target, they're not in line of sight, then you can't target them with the Force power. If they have total concealment, in other words, you couldn't use Force Slam on them because their targets are not in line of sight. Well, now you, that's different. Concealment's different than total concealment. Yes, but his question kind of related to both. So I would say it works in one instance, but not the other. I mean, Chris, Sterling, thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. Um, I think, I mean, with with concealment, the idea is that you can still see still see your target. Total concealment, obviously, you, you can't. Right. Um, and so that just... Because of the way Force Lamb seems to work in the, in the movies... Um, it's pretty obvious you need to be able to see who you're targeting. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, this kind of leads into the second question, I guess, because as for his second question regarding cover bonuses against Force Land, this this does kind of irk me because a cover provides cover provides a bonus to a target's reflex defense, but Force Land doesn't target reflex; it targets fortitude. I don't know, guys. I mean, if you look at the raw, cover wouldn't affect Force Slam, but th- maybe this is one of those cases where the rules might need to be adjudicated by the GM just to account for what makes sense. I mean, personally, I, I would allow cover to provide a bonus against uh, t- to Fortitude Defense against Force Slam, you know, or a similar area effect from the Force, because it just makes sense to me. I mean, what do you... Uh, you know, I-, I know it's not the raw, but th- that's kind of how I would rule it. I mean, th- thoughts? Uh, I probably wouldn't. Um, really? Yeah. I'd, talk I'd to, talk to me. Why? I'm a force user. I can control the force. So what if there's a yeah. box in front of me? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that statement. Uh. I mean, the force is kind of, I don't know, it, it obviously gets treated differently in different situations. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, I don't know, like a... Oh, like, say, in, in D&D where you got the fireball and it's yeah. always affecting everything the same way every time uh, because the force is an interaction between uh, living things and so forth. Um, yeah, I think I think I still wouldn't uh, I wouldn't apply a penalty. Gotcha? I've got to agree with Hershey here on this because I don't see how it's going to I don't see how it's going to really make any difference for them that Okay, it's it's targeting their fortitude, so the, there's not going to be there's no defense that they're getting. They're getting no aid because, like you said, the the, the smoke in the in the grenade in the smoke room. Yeah, kind of the same principle. Hmm. Yeah, 
Interesting, guys. Interesting. I don't know. I just maybe when I envision it, I envision like the Jedi like having this telekinetic burst coming out from him, and I can see cover blocking that. But uh, then again, you know, it. Uh, yeah, I think your arguments have merit. I think you know it. It is the Force, you know, um, and it you know it doesn't say that you're shooting out a blast from yourself. It just says you're targeting these targets, and they're in a cone. But you know that's that's kind of it. Um, I mean, cinematically, it might look that way, but yeah, I, I guess I see what you're saying. So, um, yeah, but rules is written. Uh, d- that is definitely the way it works. Uh, fat raconteur. So, <laughs> thank you for the question. But um, yeah, man, the the force, man. What are you what are you gonna do? It's it's the force. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's the force. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, what? Elias Windrider. Oh my! Look at this guy. He's back. Oh. Our pipe smoking, cardigan wearing, academic, a plusing, evangelizing, professoring Elias Windrider. Love it. Yes, he's back with another que- another cover question and an urgent appeal related to the Pathfinder. Uh, wait a second, Paizo won a bunch of awards, dude. We don't no, need no, to no, like... no, 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 not 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 the Pathfinder role playing game the the pathfinder prestige class oh i I see i didn't read the rest of the question Uh, okay okay so i have a question (laughs) about the pathfinder see here he goes again okay so i have a question about the pathfinder even level ability create cover does it create squares which which if you're in you have cover from every non-adjacent square or does it create squares which if you hide behind gives you cover from enemies in the other direction. Oh, okay, I get this. I get this. Does it create cover in front of you, or does it create cover on top of you? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Now, Sterling, I know that you, you were one of the authors on, uh, on Rebellion Era Campaign Guide. Um, do you know who did, the, uh, did this prestige class? Uh, not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I have a feeling it was Owen, but I would have to dig it out and look. Okay. Well, just, just looking at the, the actual rule itself, which is obviously, um, we, we covered this way back in episode 85. Uh, you, ca- you call that hardcover um, when we talked about the Pathfinder Prestige class. But page 45, Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, they kind of lay it out. The Pathfinder's even level class ability is create cover. And it's pretty bitchin'. I mean, it, just, it lets you instantly create squares that provide cover. But th- I think, Elias, the text is pretty clear. Uh, the, the ability notes that these squares are, quote-unquote, considered to be filled with low objects, providing anyone adjacent to the squares with cover against distant attackers. So that kind of lays it out for me, guys. I mean, the, the squares are suddenly filled with low objects, and, and would, as, as Elias puts it, let you hide behind them to gain cover from enemies in the other direction. I mean, does, does this jive with you guys? Okay. Don't speak up all at once. I'm just <laughs> I don't see any argument to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's pretty straightforward. Okay. Great. Uh, easy peasy. Great. Awesome. Good question. Thank you. Travis Carroll recently huh. emailed us after watching a live broadcast of our last Alt-U game uh, over Ustream. So this is a very good question. Huh. He asks, Dear GM Dave and GM Chris, that's us, uh-huh. I... Just watched the Alt U campaign video, and I have a question about Brev's titties. No, no. Why are they no, so no, large? No, no, no oh. question 
Oh. Brev, Brev enjoyed flashing the camera a great many times during that uh, broadcast. Oh, okay. Okay. But I, I'm I'm going to purge that from my mind. So if that okay. is what the question is about, we got to stop. Okay. All right. So, well. Okay. His second question then is: I just watched the Alt U campaign video, and I had oh okay. Uh, the second question about the game mat that Chris used. Who makes it so I can order one? I've been experimenting with uh, different things and haven't quite found anything I like. Thanks, guys. Trav. Trav? Trav. Trav. Well, Trav, um, I know this is something we've talked briefly about on shows past, but there's a lot of solutions out there. There's lots of places sell maps of gridded squares, which can be folded and written on, like usually with wet erase markers. Um, I use a more homegrown solution that I prefer. I, I simply took a map of blank squares and had it laminated. <laughs> Bottom line. Wow. Uh, um, if you can find a Star Wars miniature starter set, and they're out there. There's many of them online. They sell for about 15 bucks. They come with a map. And you got, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. I think all of them, except for the Clone Wars uh, starter set, had a map on one side and blank squares, a blank square map on the other. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, the the, um, the chance, the uh, Revenge of the Sith set did not have one because they had the cardstock. Okay. Map. But uh, okay. yeah, all the other starters, except for the more recent ones, had a blank side. Okay, so if you can find an old starter set, which is not necessarily easy to find, uh, that would have a blank side map on it, uh, Trav. And I-, I simply took one of those I had to Office Depot and I had it laminated. It cost me about eight bucks. So all in all, for me, it was twenty-one bucks for the set and the lamination. Twenty-one bucks for the- this laminated map, and hey, some minis. Hey, bonus. Uh, can't go wrong. Uh, the lamination, nope. in my opinion, has one downside, and that is the glare, which can occasionally come off of it. But for me, that is overshadowed by my ability to use both wet and dry erase markers on it. Uh, that way, I can draw the map with wet erase, and it won't smudge until I'm ready to erase it with water. But then I can also throw some dry erase down on the map for like temporary effects, which then I can just rub off with my thumb. Yep. Um, if you want to go this route of self-lamination... Uh, another easy option is to head to uh, the recent any award-winning the, uh, www.gamingpaper.com. That's right. D20 Radio put them on the map. <laughs> we interviewed them, God, two years ago. Um, this is a great product. Uh, it's like a butcher's block paper style roll of one-inch square grids. It sells for about $4 a roll, like for 30 square feet of paper. Um, and it's cool paper. It's like wax covered so you can use like markers and colored pencils or you know anything on it and it won't bleed so you can just write on it is what it's intended for but um you know it's very versatile but i mean aside from using it it's just the permanent written medium it was designed for you can cut any section of it of any size you want and just laminate it um and that's that's what i recommend uh what sterling what what do you use in your games man i mean do you do you use a map and if so i mean what what do you use preferably uh most of the time, I'll use uh, a flip mat, ah. which is uh, now it's, I think it's sold by Paizo. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's uh, a map you can uh, fold up. It's got some sort of lamination on it already. Um, you can use basically almost any kind of marker on it, um, and uh, uh, especially. And I use use dry erase with it all the time. Yeah, and you can get since it's. You know, you can get some that have like a dungeon pattern or a, or a ground pattern on it. Um, so that may or may not work for Star Wars, depending on your situation. Uh, but that's what I find you, I'm, I'm using the most often because it's easy to throw in the bag with a bunch of dry erase. And well, got, like like right the, the Paizo flip mats, they actually fold. 
fold into like um, right. cuz I know they're laminated but they fold into like an 8.5 by 11 package. So Right, so it's easier to throw in your bag. You don't have to worry about a long map that's rolled up. If you even you can have a really good size map um, See, with you. If I was smart, I would do that. I, I roll mine. <laughs> well, I've also got the traditional, you know, battle mat where you have to use the wet erase and, and Yeah. And that's like a that's it's like a faux leather kind of the mylar. Yeah. Yeah, and I used that, you know, you know, I used those for when I was playtesting minis, um, new minis maps or, or uh, certain RPG maps that were going to be bigger than, uh, you know, a single page or something like that. Mm, but as you mentioned, fair warning, if, um, if you do get one of the vinyl battle mats, do not ever use a dry erase marker on it. No. <laughs> it will stain permanently forever. Which is also why I tend to like the flip map. Yeah. Yeah. Just a note of the uh, gaming paper company that has the rolls. They also have fold-up sheets, like pre-folded as well. Nice. Really? That was something new See? they had for Gen Con that they See? didn't even have at Origins. And they, and they also introduced single sheets that you can run through your printer. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. See, now these guys, that's why they're any award winners. That's It's such a simple idea, you know, and it, it's kudos well, to these people. Well, it's something where they, uh, you know, I was talking to the guy, and uh, he said that... Um, um, basically, it was his customers that kept asking, "Hey, can I run? Can I? You know, you have a smaller size. Can I run this through my printer?" And he said, "Well, I guess you can cut it up and try and run it through, but it, the regular gaming paper um, paper is has this coating on it. Who knows how well that would actually work in a printer? So they're single sheets. They're actually just normal recycled paper uh, with a one-inch grid already printed on it. So I could see." doing like caverns and stuff pretty easily with that where you don't really care if the grid aligns with something but if you're trying to align walls with grid and print that way yeah that could I, i'm not sure how easy that is it depends on how consistent their lines their line locations are per sheet and i didn't look at it that closely okay yeah that's a good point good point cool. all right lastly opium sigh has a question about uh well let's just say Attacking the harder target. Page 161, Core Rulebook, says if you're shooting or throwing a weapon at an opponent that is adjacent to one or more of your allies, you take a minus five penalty to your attack roll. Okay? Great. Uh, That would be, like, precise shot. Okay, so the penalty accounts for the fact you're trying not to hit your allies. My question is this. What if you think the attack must hit at all costs and then just don't care or are not, are not worried about hitting your ally? Can you forgo that penalty and simply make the attack? And if so, how would you rule it? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I'm really interested to get all y'all's opinions on this because I, I, I think this is a good question. To, to me, that minus five penalty is a bit deeper than just avoiding hitting your ally. I think that yeah. t- the, the fact that you're in melee, you're, you're ducking and bobbing and shifting and weaving and fighting and that makes you a harder target to hit that right. to me that's what the minus five penalty represents right um because raw there there is no way around that penalty without the precise shot feet uh but i don't know if you wanted to introduce a house rule chris sterling i mean how do you how do you i mean what, what do you guys think about about that the problem with introducing a house rule is that then you um if you let people do this it sort of diminishes uh precise shot yeah. Um, so I would hesitate to do, let them do it too much. Now, if they want to go in and indiscriminately fire, it's uh, kind of hard to argue against it a little bit um, because how would that be different from having a whole cluster of enemies that were 
maybe if they were fighting each other still, but they were all your enemy, you could fire at them normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's true. Um, you know, for me, I see a cinematic element here of you're throwing your knife, it grazes your buddy, causing a couple points of damage, but then sticks in the bad guy. So you might allow them to do it, uh, like forego the penalty on occasion, but maybe you split damage between your target and your ally? Yeah, mechanically I could see that. Hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but like back in the third edition D&D rules, which obviously got translated heavily to OCR, you could, like, if, if you made a shot like this without precise shot, but you missed the target like by less than five, then your shot would target the ally instead, if I recall correctly. Um, See, I like that house rule. I like that as a house rule. I, I like it, but I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't let somebody abuse it. I mean, yeah. if it was a specific situation, maybe a dramatically, an old phrase, the dramatically appropriate moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, something like yeah. that, maybe. Uh, but if they start trying to just do that all the time, I, I wouldn't let them do it. I'd probably go along the same lines as Sterling every once in a while, but I'd trade you a minus two penalty for the chance of possibly hitting your friend. Oh, and if you're all a one, you're absolutely hitting your friend. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, but I, I also think that rule. You know, hey, it could work. It could also make things very complicated. I mean, okay, what if it, what if I got five allies in melee with the one enemy I'm trying to hit? Well, what if I miss the enemy? Well, which ally am I going to hit? Um, you know, do I roll? I mean, do I roll randomly to figure that out? It, you know, it, it can make things a little. A little complicated, perhaps. Well, if you want to, yeah. if you want to go far back in time, uh, if you go back to the uh, original AD and D rules, set the wayback machine. Uh huh. Go back to the uh, AD and D rules. Um, I was reading through this last year for because uh, I was running a, a first edition game, mm. um, but there are rules in there about firing arrows or missiles into a melee, and there's this huge calculation of taking into account. Your enemies, your opponents, and their various sizes. Oh God! And I don't. Th- and I remember when we used to play this game, we never once used that rule, and and I don't think anyone ever used it has has used it since. Oh dear! I mean, it it was. And I think it was even labeled as being simple, which would be typical. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, this is a lot simpler than that. Wow. And for those of you, interesting enough, for those of you who may want to get your first edition AD&D kick on, you guys know we actually have a first edition AD&D podcast on the network, uh, the Roll for Initiative podcast. Um, and I know those guys were out at Gen Con this year. Um, and if you guys want to get even older school than that, we just added a brand new podcast. Uh, we announced uh, well, last week and the week before, uh, Save or Die, which <laughs> covers only Red the box. boxed editions of D&D, the OD&D boxed editions. So now my question is, are they going to cover the 4E box sets that are coming out? Hmm. Oh, you mean 4.5? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you want to call that? 4.2? Yeah. Oh, different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so very well, th- th- good. This is good advice, though, guys. Thank you. And you know what? Let's step into... Hey, welcome to Wattles. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement. And I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh... 
Yep. Uh huh. So what'd you find this week there, big guy? Okay. Um I found a device uh, at Wados that I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just lower my geek credit about two points because I'm gonna be honest, I do not recall I know this comes from the EU somewhere, but I do not recall where it comes from. <laughs> a device called the Veridicator. Huh. Sterling Chris, any ideas? Does that come from Viridian Five? I don't know. Why well, you can find the Ver- the Veridicator on page sixty seven of Galaxy of Intrigue, but I don't. I'm struggling to. I've heard of it in the EU, but I'm struggling to remember where in the EU I've seen it or read about it. Um, but basically, it, it's an inconspicuous device. It, it's worn as a simple bracelet. It only weighs about a tenth of a kilo. And it has some interesting uses. The Veridicator can be targeted against someone within six squares of you. And it takes a full round action to to warm up. And what it does is during that full round action, it monitors their heart rate, their perspiration, their pupil dilation, all their involuntary stress responses. And then it compiles this data and compares it to info in its own internal database. And what the Veridicator can do is help you determine if the target is lying. Uh, it, it communicates to you via like soft pulses or vibrations or temperature variations when you're wearing it. Um, but mechanically, in game, after you use this thing for one round against a target, the wearer receives a plus five bonus to perception checks to sense deception in the target or other influences. Or, or you can use it to gain a plus five bonus when gambling against other players. Love it. Um, nice. It is a little restrictive. You can only be programmed to work against one species at a time. Uh, and at four grand, it, it's not a cheap toy. But I don't know, for like a career gambler or a master negotiator, this is, this is pretty cool. I mean, what, what uses can you guys see this being used for? This is, this is an interesting piece of equipment. Well, first of all, I was just looking it up on uh, Wikipedia because uh-huh. I hadn't heard of this either. And it looks like it, the only two sources listed are... Uh, obviously, Galaxy of Intrigue and the Arms and Equipment Guide, which have been from from the original <laughs> D20 game. So, <laughs> okay, maybe that's where I know it from. Then, <laughs> <laughs> very nice. But I don't know. Th- this could be used in- interestingly in a campaign. Yeah, it could also be abused. <laughs> I could just see somebody walking up to yeah. the gambling table with you know seven or eight bracelets to cover all the major species. Now, that is a concern because the bonus it provides is untyped. Um. So that that, that you, I expect it to be like an equipment bonus. If I was a GM running this, I would probably alter this to say provides you an equipment bonus. Therefore, you couldn't stack them. Um, but, well, you're not really stacking them. It's okay. I'm against a Wookiee, so I'm going to use the one against the oh, Wookiee. Oh, I hear you. Okay, I feel you. Well, and, I mean, and I would I would say that at the more uh, prestigious establishments, they would know exactly what this thing is, <laughs> and would be able to scan for it or look for it or and they, you know they may not target every single person that walks in the door, but if someone starts, you know, Winning. modern modern casinos have all kinds of you know cameras and they're watching for people that are cheating. And if somebody starts, yeah, you know, winning and they just happen to notice they have this bracelet on or something kind of like it, they're probably going to investigate that. Now, back world, back room, at the tavern or something, or the the cantina, there they're probably not looking for it. Yeah, you're true that true that excellent 
Well, for an interesting tool to add to your campaigns or perhaps give your NPCs an edge, uh, head to page 67, Galaxy of Intrigue. Uh, ask for the Veridicator and tell them Watto sent you. Indeed. All right, so um, I have to go back. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> what did what 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 did what did we forget? I forgot a, a big giant giant humongous announcement. Okay. All right. So uh, I finally got off my butt to get all envelopes and all this good stuff to send out the dice that I was supposed to send out like a month, two, four months ago. Uh huh. PayPal no longer provides addresses to us for subscriptions. Oh no. Yeah. So I've gone back through all. There's a about, well, there's a lot of people uh, on here, and I don't think I can possibly email everyone, although I'm going to try. But if you guys hear this podcast and you know that you are a red person and a subscriber, please kindly drop me an email with your address. I don't know when they made this change, but it's a pain in the butt. And they, prob- they probably did it for privacy reasons, and I can see why. I- I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's probably it. But um, that being said, it's a subscription thing, so we're not sending you. We're not. You know, we didn't capture. A, we did capture an address. I know we did, but for some reason, it's not. It's not uh, showing it to us. So, if you would go back in there and uh, just send me an email, gmdave at d20radio.com, and uh, put address as your subject line, and I will be able to get those things out to you as I get these emails in and um, what what uh, what Chris and I have decided to do since it took us so damn long to get these things is uh, instead of just sending you a few of these dice we're going to send you 66 thank you very much and as you get your dice your subscription your $2 subscription thing is going to be canceled so do not redo it yes because it will and be it's being canceled for a very good reason which we will come to right Basically, PayPal takes such a big bite out of our ass that we get like a buck in a little bit. Yeah, because they they take such a large percentage. So uh, we're we're having to rework things. And yes. uh, but we 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 yeah. do have something new and exciting around the bend. Oh yes, we do. Holy crap, do we? Uh, so yes, and I think we're we're going to be able to announce that. Gosh, next podcast. It may be next podcast, depending on when the next podcast is. <laughs> True that. Yep. All right. So yes, be uh, be uh, alert for a new uh, a new uh, good thing. Yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, I, I meant to bring it up in the announcements and I forgot. So uh, okay, we do well, not have um, fragments from the rim this week. Um, so with that, we'll go straight into. <gasps> Yes. Love it. Beefy. Beefy. Time for um, the meat of the show. Are you sure we don't have fragments this week? I'm pretty sure we did. Well, it's not in my email box if we did. So Darth, because I swear Darth James in the chat room going, what? <laughs> That's odd. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Either way, we might we might uh, forego it till next week. The, the, I, either way, though, we have so much awesome to talk about that I think it'll be okay. Okay. Because it is time for some celebrating. Uh, we're as, as I said, we are very proud to welcome back two guests to our fine program. 
program. Um, Sterling Hershey and Chris Bradshaw. Gentlemen, welcome. They're joining us tonight, as we said, to talk the talk of one of the most important things ever, Star Wars. Specifically, uh, the two individuals here not only attended Gen Con this year, but are recently returned from Star Wars Celebration 5. Uh, these two mega gatherings of geekdom and fun were something that we knew we had to share and hear all about. Th- this episode, guys, is, is literally just an unabashed, non-compromising geek out where Dave, myself, and most of our listeners were, are going to live vicariously through the two of you for the next several minutes. <laughs> and I just uh, found fragments in my spam folder. Oh. Isn't that weird? Well, that's yeah. weird. Well, perhaps we can put it on at the end of the show? Yeah, we'll tack it on the end. Excellent. I wouldn't like to miss it. But, uh, so, Sterling, Chris, uh, this won't hurt, I promise. We, we just want to tap into your veins for a little bit and, and soak up some of the knowledge, um, if that's cool with you. Certainly. Sure. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, guys, let, let, let's talk. I'm just, ah, you know, I couldn't go to Gen Con this year, um, or, or Seb 5, for that matter, or go anywhere, really, because of the, the birth of my daughter. Um, uh but I just, you know, talking to you guys, I, I am living vicariously, and I know a lot of members of the Gamer Nation are as well. So let, let's start with by talking about Gen Con. So Gen Con Indy 2010 just finished up, Indianapolis, Indiana, and, and there was a lot of greatness. Um, and I really want to get some of the best thoughts and experiences of the con from you guys, but I would like to start with some of the first, and really only Star Wars big news we had from the con, which was the Star Wars retrospective panel. Um... And Sterling, you were on this panel, correct? Uh, yeah. Um, it was funny. Uh, I was talking to uh, Gary Sarley last year mm-hmm. uh, when and when you know, when we found out there was no uh, official um, Star Wars uh, uh, panel uh, at Gen Con last year. He was like, "Man, we you know I could have done an unofficial one like I did with Jedi Counseling a year a couple a few years ago or something mm-hmm. like that." And so this year when it came time for um, the, the, uh, the events to be submitted to Gen Con, I, I called or I sent him a note and said, hey, we, we ought to do that. And, and so um, he was already attending as um, uh, with his GM Sarley Games, and he was going to have a booth and so forth. And so he set up the, the uh, seminar for us and then followed it up with one of his, one about his E20 game. Um, that he's developing now, and um, uh, then we started uh, trying to get the word out to um, some of the other freelancers and so forth, and uh, got a lot of them to come to show up, and the room was full, which was great, and uh, we had a good time. And Chris, I know you were there for a good portion of it as well. Oh yeah, uh, front row. Fantastic. So okay, so obviously Gary, Gary was there. Sterling, you were there. Do you guys remember who else? Who else was on the panel? Do we know? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Gary Sarley, uh, Owen Casey Stevens, uh, who is you know, author and developer of the Core Rulebook and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Asselford, uh, Christopher West, Patrick Stutzman, and uh, T. Rob Brown. Awesome. And then, or- uh, and then also uh, Rodney Thompson and Chris Perkins were both uh, invited. Uh, Chris had to run a delve uh, for D&D, so he couldn't make it. Rodney had another thing. He, he was trying to make it down and uh, just was literally walking up when we were finished. Yeah, poor guy. 
Well, you know, he he does have his whole paycheck thing to kind of take precedence. Um, can't can't blame him. Not to mention the fact that his, you know, the the, the setting that he was kind of the you know, the the head guy for was pretty much being grandiosely unveiled at Gen Con, um, or at least pimped out hardcore. So, yeah, I think he was doing some sort of interview at the time, actually. Well, there you go. So okay, so tell us about the pen. I mean, I mean, favorite moments. What was it like? What What did you guys talk about? What kind of questions? What kind of fun stories and anecdotes were shared? Uh, well, uh, mostly it was us taking questions uh, most of the time. Um, I got there. I have to say, I did get there just a little bit late because I got hung up in a in a meeting that was before that, so I came in about five minutes late. But uh, yeah, basically. Uh, People were they said, were the questions like design questions or I mean were people were did you have hardcores and they're asking you guys rules questions or what, you know uh, I don't I don't think we got any rules questions at all which okay. which really surprised me I thought we at least get a, a few um, and from, from uh, my perspective it seemed like a lot more you know what did you feel that you didn't get it put into the to the game or what was your favorite thing to have done yeah I mean a lot of it was sort of behind the scenes kind of. Uh, how did this come about, or how? Did, or yeah, or what did you guys feel about this or that, or what was your favorite, this or that? And so there was a lot of stories, and and uh, and that was fun. Um, and uh, we got to talk about how the game developed a little bit, and uh, uh, yeah, I'd have to say my two favorite stories that came out of that. One being, uh, I believe it was Jim Starley talking about how he ended up getting you paid, Sterling. Uh, for some previous work that you done for Wedge, yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> so. So when Weston Games uh, went bankrupt um, the first time, uh, they that was also the end of their their involvement with the Star Wars license, and they ended up owing money to a fair number of people and freelancers, and I was one of them. And uh, so some of that work was the uh, met the the deck plan designs I did for uh, uh, the Nebulon B and uh, and also some of the stuff from Hideouts and Strongholds and uh-huh. so when Wizards picked up the line uh, one of their first books was uh, Starships of the Galaxy and Owen was one of the people on that and he liked some of those designs and he basically cut and pasted in, the, in a really old fashioned way by photocopying <laughs> and pasting them in and that was, you know, and they they had been told that, you know, everything was, you know, they were free to use anything from the line because they had the license now. Lucasfilm, in theory, was supposed to own everything. Well, so, of course, what really happened was they were not told and Wizards didn't know that not everybody got paid for what for everything. Um, and so I had I had uh, been part of the bankruptcy process um, Insofar as you know, submitting paperwork and so forth, and so I had all that. And so when it, when this showed up, you know, I pick up the book and I'm looking through it. and I'm going, and I think there's actually one in the rebel in the Rebel Era book also. I think there was a map in there too. But basically, I was going through it and was like, oh man, you know, it's really cool they picked up my stuff, but you know, I never never got paid for it. And <laughs> and at this point, you know, I've not worked with Watsi. Um, I, you know, there were some people there that I knew from because they'd been, you know, the they had worked at TSR and actually at West End before that, so I figured out who to um, to uh, uh, so I knew knew who to kind of talk to and find out who the right person to send stuff 
uh, and, and so I basically photocopied all my stuff, explained the situation, explained what had been paid for, what hadn't been paid for, sent that all into Chris Perkins, uh, who I've worked with a lot since then, and going, hey, you know, I still want to work with you guys someday, but I haven't been paid for this part. And they were very, very professional, and um, I ended up getting paid for the work that they used. And um, so, yeah, so so then when the story got back to Owen, because uh, um, yeah, we had some mutual friends, even though we had not met yet, um, my, our, our friends are like, hey, he might be mad. We're not real sure. He's kind of ticked off that, you know, that this has happened and he's, and, and so by the time we actually met, I think it was before one of the Gen Cons, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, no, um, I got paid because of all that, so we're cool. <laughs> this all worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphor- and, and metaphorical course, fist bump. We're cool, right? We're cool. <laughs> well, and, and Owen, of course, is a very good storyteller and has told many stories during this, uh, during the the event. But uh, uh, so he had, he had he had the whole room going, so it was good. Awesome. Now, the other story was from Chris West, and I, I know he's not on here to tell you guys about it, so I'll kind of briefly uh, touch base on it. But it's when he did the uh, uh, the Millennium Falcon insides, when he drew all that out and actually mapped that out, and then wrote like a seven-page article, I think he was saying, to go along with it in Star Wars Gamer. He made a lot of that up, uh, talking about a Narshot. You know, the shipping ended up in a Narshot shipyard at one point throughout his lifetime. Some of the details that later gets pulled out of the Holocron to be put into the book named the Millennium Falcon. And for him, that was a, a pivotal moment for him because it was like, hey, here's something that I made. It became, you know, not quite canon, but as close to that as it can be, and then is used in other stories later, other people building off what he started. And what's also funny for me about that um, about that story was that, uh, of course, he did all the deck plans for the Millennium Falcon, um, a version that was pretty good. It was uh, maybe the most accurate, probably the most accurate to date, even though not everything fits in it. We had that discussion again, too. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is a new book that's just out, um, the Star Wars Blueprints book. And I know we'll get to Celebration in a minute, but... Uh, those guys, I, I actually know uh, one of the artists on there and met the other one at Celebration and talked to them a little bit afterwards. And uh, Now, Sterling, yeah, are you talking about the flip book? No, I'm talking about the uh, Star Wars Blueprints book. Well, there was another book that came out as well that's that's hitting the market as well that's a flip book. It's, it's literally layer by layer, and it's a clear coat or like clear sheet with the actual uh, kind of a cardboard piece inserted of it. That as you turn each page, you're uncovering one more layer of the Falcon. Oh, that's cool. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the artist, but uh, I, I saw it. They weren't selling it at the show, but it's it's available now. Oh boy, one more thing I have to buy. <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, guys, okay, your your wife is in the chat, Sterling. Going, oh, great, something else for his Christmas list. <laughs> Yes, but if it's on the Christmas list, we don't pay for it unless she buys it. Ah! <laughs> Very nice. Well, cool. Okay, well, so the, the panel was fun. I mean, it was, what, a couple hours? You guys just, you know, re, you know, related stories, relived, and, and talked the talk? Yeah. Um, we uh, yeah, took questions and talked about 
you know, what we liked, what we didn't like, you know, what would we have done differently or what would we have done, you know, what new products would we have done if we had the chance, that kind of thing. Now, Sterling, I know when we've had you on the show before, I mean, we had you on shortly after the official announcement of the end of the line. And I remember we, we asked you at that time if there was one thing you could you would like to see added um, to, to the line that didn't get have a chance to get added. What would it be? Um, I mean, in, in the time that's passed, have you had a chance to, to think of anything else or to change your, your opinion? Or did anyone else give, a, a, give an opinion of something they'd like to see that surprised you or thought was interesting? I don't remember what my answer was at the time. Um... And, uh, you know, we talked about some of the, maybe the new Jedi Order stuff that didn't make it in. We, we, covered, all, we covered a fair amount of it um, in other products, and if you were trying to do something in that era, you could get there. Uh, but obviously nothing summarizing many of the stories and, some of, and many of the multitude of uh, minor characters that were in that series. Yeah. Um, that's probably the biggest hole you can point to, I think. Um, one person's comment or answer on that that I love the best, and Chris, I think you'll like this as well, was they sh- they should have done something with Infinities. It was yeah, it that, was, yeah, that was you said that, wasn't it? I think it was Asselford. Was it Asselford? Yep. Okay. Um, that that, that I, I love the Infinities concept. I think that would be a hoot. Um, but you know, there, there was always the argument of you know, well, gosh, why should we go there when we still have canon that's left to be done? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and I actually, then again, at Celebration, and I can't remember which panel it was. It may have been the Dark Horse panel, which would have been appropriate. Um, somebody had asked about Infinities. And I think the answer is basically Lucasfilm is very hesitant to do any more of that. Um, they were very, they had a lot of restrictions on it uh, when yeah. they did it. And I, I just think that you're not really going to see much from that. Um, that would have been, yeah, that would have been tough. Well, a slight counter to that, too, would be, you know, how much information do you really need to do the Infinities? I know, Chris, you're running a sort of Infinities campaign. I am. But, I mean, the stats of the vehicles are the same, the droids, etc. So, really, the only difference, the only meat that you're going to get out of something like that is the characters themselves. What is Leia's stats now that yeah. she's different, uh, etc. Yeah. Et yeah. Uh, um, and Although you know, I was just thinking, fun. Yeah. There, there's an interesting take that we could have done now because there, not uh, there was the additional Force Unleashed game that I have not played, but the one where you're playing the Sith, right? You're playing the, yeah, the, and the, that could give that could have given Wizards an opening to kind of go down that path a little bit. I'm so tickled for the next game. I can't. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I know we've pimped it out, but ever since the whole uh, the, the, that like seven minute uh, trailer from E3 came out for the Force Unleashed two, I'm, uh, I'm I'm we got to play it at Celebration five. Oh, oh god, really? <laughs> oh yeah, you had to wait in a bit of a line, but it was great. They have a the, the one of the new abilities is mind trick, and you just see this stormtrooper. You know, once he, it, the effect takes, he runs out the window to his doom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, okay. Well, Which we wouldn't allow in the RPG, but you know. <laughs> well, it's the Force Unleashed. There's a lot, you I know. know. I know. I guess if you're blowing away stormtroopers by the dozen, Listen. I think you can make one jump off the edge. That's probably right. It's probably true. Well, you well, you remember the forum discussions. Um, you know, in the RPG, how could Star Killer do that? It's not possible. Okay, the rules very clearly state. Um, <laughs> Love it. 
Well, okay, so uh, the panel went great. Um, I, I kind of wish I could have been there for it. But okay, t- tell me about the rest of the con. What what other cool uh, gaming moments did you have? Uh, other other panels you may have sat in on or went to or other events? What other what other great memories did you make at Gen Con? Well, let's see. I I, I played in the live action game, you know, Visit to the ER. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's Which right. I'm saying, well, Wife is out of the room, but um, yes, your yeah, no, your poor your poor wife was injured during the con. Yeah, she she fell and injured her knee. Oh, but, uh, still recovering. It'll everything will probably be all right. So <laughs> now, uh, aside from that, it was actually a really a really good convention. Um, of course, now I'm completely blanking on what that might have been. Um, I did I did run a pickup Star Wars game for some friends of mine. Really? Um, yeah. Um and uh what era? Uh Kotor. Oh. Hell yeah. And uh actually it's not I haven't got it completely finished yet, but it's something I'm going to put up for free on my website at some point, hopefully in the near future. Oh, that'd be great. And it's got yeah. it's awesome. you know, it's a game I it's okay. So when I when I would write a slight tangent. When when I whenever I would write Tangents uh, are cool. This is a tangent <laughs> this is a tangent safe zone. Well, every every year, um, you know, my game club runs uh, one of the, a local gaming convention in Kansas City, which is Sean Con, or more recently, uh, Casey Game Fair. And so, I would of course run Star Wars games, and I would always base my game on whatever the latest thing I worked on was. And so, when I did the Kotor book, I did this adventure. And so, there's characters, full character backgrounds, um, and pre-generated and all that. And so. Um, yeah, so I'm getting that written up in a format that I think is easier to use during convention play and hopefully can be picked up pretty easily. So I've got some others. Eventually, I might get up as well, but this is at least somewhere to start. So, so that's what, so I was you know running it with them, and Mary's editing it because you know I need that. <laughs> oh yes, your your wife is laughing in the chat room right now. That's hilarious. Uh-huh. Nice. Very nice. Uh-huh. That's because the characters. I was really tired when I was when I was working did another pass on the characters, and they clearly needed to be needed a pass when I wasn't so tired. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we had fun with that. Um, you know, I went to some Watsy panels. Went to the Gamble World panel. That was fun. Looking forward yeah. to that. I did. Uh, I I played the original once, and it was so weird and fun at the time. I'm I'm interested is, interested to see it, what they do with it. This is going to be very weird and. Uh, they're definitely taking a more humorous approach. Um, Gamma World used Good. to do. Some people played it with a very humorous approach, and other people took it very seriously, being the '80s, um, or at least more seriously. Um, <laughs> they've definitely taken taken a more humorous approach on on this one, which doesn't mean you can't play it seriously. But uh, they've got all kinds of crazy mechanics that they're trying out. It's based on 4E, but there's lots of well, I won't say lots of. Uh, there's some variations on it, um, which make it specific to Gamma World, and so I'm looking forward to seeing that. I think it's kind of hard to take games seriously when it has green, radioactive, glowing giant bunny rabbits in it. Well, they are redoing. What was the name of the uh, something at Fargo? Um, it was one of the classic Gamma World adventures, right? And there, there has it has giant chickens in it that you fight. <laughs> I'm sure they're mutants. Mutant giant chickens with the yes. best drumsticks ever. 
And I think the frog hemoth is in that. <laughs> may, that may be one of the later ones. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Uh, they cluck and you know, windows shatter in buildings. <laughs> Love it. Watch well, out when they lay eggs. Uh, oh, uh, let's see. Oh, something else I did. Um, also, was I went to a different game system. I went to the Savage Saturday Night, Ooh. and that's uh, the, the the guys who run Savage Worlds. Um, yeah, they they have a well. They're going to do it different next year because they had such a huge turnout this year. But basically. Um, on Saturday night, people who wanted to come play Savage Worlds and try it out, or 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 just you know, were fans, could all show up at this one room in the highest, and uh, so you get to play with all these different game designers and uh, some of the owners, and just uh, and it was really amazing because you could see the versatility of that system. Uh, Savage Worlds, for those who don't know, is a I don't want to say a, a universal system. I guess it is kind of a universal system. Uh, if yeah. you're familiar with Deadlands uh, or or Great Rail Wars, it came out of that. Um, and uh, but you can run Cthulhu with it. I mean, their licensees are they've got a li- lot of licenses. You can, we were I, I played in a pulp fiction, a pulp Egypt style game um, called Oh crap. Uh, um, it was actually called Oh crap. No, it just. Blanked on the. Uh, That's a great uh, game. Blanked on the setting, um, but it's run. It's it's by Reality Blurs. Um, my my wife is screaming. Slipstream. Slipstream is the. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't play that there. Slipstream is the sort of Buck, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, pulp, sci-fi, version uh, setting for Savage Worlds, and I do run that. Um, that just sounds like fun. I am. Oh, that sounds like. Speaking of pulp, I'm. I've been a fan of Spirit of the Century since it was released, and I know that uh, there was a whole lot of hullabaloo over the Dresden Files. Um, obviously at Origins, and then of course at uh, at Gen Con this year. Did Did either one of you get a chance to to check out um, any of the Dresden Files play going on? I did I'll, not. I'll take the I silence did. as a no. Yeah, <laughs> I did not. I did see the. I did see the books. I got over to the booth to take a look through the books and. Um, um, and I've not talked to Jim Butcher about how they came out, but I look forward to that when I whenever I see him some next. Cool. Me personally, I took a look at the books. You know, I've never been a Dresden fan. I've heard a lot about it. My ex-wife watched it, so kind of because of that, I never did get into it. I just kind of let that be her thing. But after seeing the role-playing game come out and everybody hyping it up so much, I went ahead and downloaded one of the audiobooks, and that was one of the key things I listened to during my major motorcycle trip that I took this summer. And I'm hooked, so I will be getting the books and and partaking in that soon. They are they are absolutely amazing. I um I read like the first two, and there was all oh, these are interesting, and then other stuff came up, and then I kind of like in the week couple weeks before the kid was born, um uh, I kind of got back into it, and I blew through like ten books, you know, nine ten books in like two weeks, um and I I just recently finished finished changes the most recent, and. Uh, and, it, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's this massive cliffhanger of an ending, and you're just like, what? No! Why? And, yeah. So. Uh, cool. Okay, now, Sterling, in the chat, you said, i, I got to get some clarification on this. You said there there was an any award-winning card game at the con called Poo? Yes. <laughs> oh, el- elaborate, please. 
Uh, well, I haven't actually seen the game. Um, from what I recall hearing about it, I think it's monkeys um, flinging poo at each other is the basis of the game. That is brilliant. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. <sighs> well, okay, Chris, what about you, man? I mean, what, what cool events? I mean, I know, and obviously we had the last two episodes of the cast, um, and we actually have one more segment left. We had some live reports from you from Gen Con talking about some of the cool things you did at the con. But, I mean, aside from that, were there any, any cool standout events or, or awesome uh, things that you, you took part in? You know, for me, it was it was getting back into Gen Con, being that I was gone last year with everything, and I didn't I didn't pre-sign up for anything. I had the VIP badge to to get me in the door on some things, but for me, I, I tried to keep it simple. It was catching up with old friends and ran into a whole bunch of people. That their first comment was, "It's great to see you in 3D." The <laughs> nice. some of the some of the games that I found were uh, just just simplistic uh, zombie dice, uh, Cthulhu dice, and it was fun to, to to mess around with those. Try try some other games. Uh, Indianapolis for me for Gen Con is not just the gaming, it's the people and the environments. I went out to my favorite steakhouse is St. Elmo's, so I got to go over there and have one of the – I will still state to this day that it was the best steak I've ever had. So there's just so much going on there. And then you get back into Gen Con, the you know some of the guys that run the gaming – uh, I've known them in the past to run a game called Nuclear Risk. So I harassed the guy ahead of time, hey, you need to bring the stuff. Now, for those that don't know Nuclear Risk, it's using a regular risk board game, but you throw the pieces to the side. And he has randomly collected 30 or 40 pieces of the same token. So you'll you'll either be pink teddy bears or uh, clear uh, sea creatures, or he had like 30 of the crustacean D&D figures. So, I mean, it was, everybody's got very weird characters that they're using to play the game with, instead of the typical wooden or or uh, other you know modern day pieces that they have. The one caveat to it is that every time you take over a, pro- or take over a country, you get a, a card. And now that card can be used to nuke whatever country is on the card. And once the place is nuked, it's gone. If it cuts off access to, say, if you nuke, uh, uh, I forget which one, is it West Indies? or I forget which one. Basically, if you nuke the one country that blocks off Australia, all of Australia is then gone. If you had troops all down there, it's completely toast. If you nuke enough countries that you split the map in half, whichever side of the map has uh, the most places, that's the remaining part of the world. The rest of it is now cut off and completely out of the game. Good grief. So I'm assuming this goes pretty fast in comparison to Vanilla Risk. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, we didn't get a chance to do it this time, but when I first got introduced to this, we had like four boards together and people playing on all of them. And it was cross – we had you know warp zones where you could connect from one board to the next, and it was massive. But even still, it goes real quick because the more places you take over, the more cards you can you – know, more things you can nuke or the more places you can protect yourself by being in because you hold the nuke card for it. Gotcha. Well, dude, that sounds like fun. Oh. Well, any, any other awesome events you uh, partook in? You know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but so much of my mind has been wrapped around Celebration 5, so. Well – we're gonna head there, and this might might be a good segue. Uh, but Gen, so Gen Con this year obviously was was a lot of fun. Um, and you both are you know 
speaking highly of it. I'm I'm tickled pink. Uh, we I will be there next year, so uh, hopefully we can we can reminisce together in a year's time. Chris, I do have one more thing to throw out here. Completely uh, spaced on, but it just popped in. Uh, I did spend some time in the Watsi upstairs room playing uh, the new Dark Sun campaign, uh, but focused on the arenas. They had seven arenas set up, each of them different uh, levels. So you you know some were more challenging than others. And you started with a first level character with a bone or a you know a wooden sword or whatnot. And you went as you went up, you in in arena points essentially glory that you got from from the uh, crowd would allow you to get a metal weapon or a magic weapon or armor etc as you progressed on and after you earned enough points i think i believe it was 25 uh they gave away a dark sun cloth map awesome it's a sauce. thing of beauty dude i i can't wait to see it i know you're heading up to dallas in a bit and i you better you better bring that thing with you because i would like to see it of course and actually, I wanted to jump in and say one other thing. I, I did manage to pull out uh, the, my information about Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, and I think the, uh, that prestige class uh, we talked about earlier was done by Britt Frey. Oh, okay. I could, you know, that was at least that was his chapter, and so I, I beyond that. Well, that's good not to sure know. Uh, who developed it and so forth from there. Very nice. Thank you. Well, okay, let's get on to something that, that a lot of folks out there are just slavering about, and I know it's still fresh on both of your minds. Um, well, actually, no, forgive me. Before we do that, I have one thing I want to ask you about Gen Con left. Of all the – okay, one of my favorite parts about Gen Con is the dealer's hall. Was there – you know, we've talked about poo. <laughs> we talked about, you know, zombie dice and Cthulhu dice. Was there a piece of swag – from the Gen from the Gen Con dealers hall that impressed you the most that you just drooled over. There was a new expansion for Munchkin. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was an insta buy. That's a shock. There's a new expansion for Munchkin. Oh no! Actually, uh, I'll tell you what my what my in like normally I have my rule of I walk the entire dealer's hall before I buy anything. I broke it this year. The moment I got to the second booth, uh, they had a, a company was making different things in soap, and I found Han Solo, or basically soap and carbonite. Oh, that is awesome! And it it looks it's about the I, I believe it's probably made out of the uh, or based off the toy uh, Han Solo and carbonite. Because it's about the same shape and size. <laughs> that is awesome. Is it? Is it like gray soap too? Uh, black, oh, kind of wow. blackish gray. Yeah, that is fantastic. They had other things like, uh, uh, well, what drew drew me to the table was actually the bar of soap from the Fight Club logo. That says Fight Club oh, on it. Yeah, pink soap. That's what drew me over. And then you get there, and they've got all these game cartridges made out of soap. For Game Boy, the old Nintendo, you know, it was hilarious to see it. It's a great way to get kind of soap on into somebody's hands that probably, you know, at least by the smell of the convention, hasn't touched that in a while. So. <laughs> okay, now we okay we talked about this last year. That last year there was a considerable reduction in the gamer funk compared to the year previously. Got, how, how how was it this year? Did we did we see continued reduction in gamer funk, or was gamer funk back in force? I think it's still reducing, and that there might be a collation between that and the amount of beautiful women that are now gaming at Gen Con. 
Because Sterling, back me up on this. There was there was a lot of women there that I haven't seen in the past. Um. <laughs> his his wife's listening. He's scared. That's true. I did, didn't think about that. Sorry, and man. She's in the she's in the chat going, careful, careful. Uh, uh, stay on target. Um uh, I, I would say that uh that has been a general trend ever since probably the vampire game came in. Uh, uh, 10, what, 10, 15 years ago now. Um I will also say that yeah, I didn't really notice a problem with like gamer funk this year. So Okay, speaking of Vampire Game, I had a friend who was there tell me that one of the weird things was the White Wolf booth. Because yeah, so that was really odd. I didn't yeah. quite realize until later on, just because I because I'm not a, I'm not a big White Wolf fan, so I didn't yeah. pay a lot of attention. But they pretty much turned their booth into a party, which is kind of funny since they've sort of been known for their parties at Gen Con since yeah. they've been around. It's, they were, yeah, you know, they were advertising their big deal over in New Orleans. Uh, I think next month. Yeah, but it's like they weren't selling anything. There was, it was nothing. It was like the booth was a bar and a party, and that was the, it. Yeah, they were selling something. It was called alcohol. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't even stop long enough to figure that out. I mean, I saw it was sort of the party bar kind of atmosphere, but I just kept right on going. <laughs> oh, oh, love it. Okay, well, Sterling, any any piece of swag from the dealers hall that that made you chuckle or or made your day? Um, I was trying to remember. I mean, I, I didn't end up buying very much this year. Um, but uh, we did pick up a couple of T-shirts by um, uh, Aaron Williams, uh, who oh. does PS Two Thirty Eight and uh, the Nodwick comic. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, I don't know. He also does T-shirts designs for um, off-world designs, and he actually has his own page there. Um, and so, like one of the ones we got, and I'm not—I don't have it in front of me, so I can't remember exactly. But it had the had these three inter- interlinked circles, and one of them said, uh, "Like Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, and uh, I can't remember the last one." Anyway, there's the, the, in, the, in the very center of, the, of all the circles was Doctor Who, was a TARDIS. And, so it was like a Venn diagram. Like, yeah, and the other ones had like combinations of time travel. You know, yeah, anyway. Yeah. They had like time travel and killer robots, and then that equaled one of the shows. Um, <laughs> and that was good. Um, th- uh, my wife got one that had a cityscape um, you know, sort of like a city skyline, mm-hmm. and then it had I don't know if you remember from Sesame Street the aliens and went yep 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 yep. yep. <laughs> yes. Last, well, I had one of those that was like Godzilla size going through the city. <laughs> uh, and last year at Gen Con, somebody, a couple of people had actually made costumes of those things that were just hysterical because they were just so dead on. Oh, that's great. Uh, and they were walking through the hall. I didn't see them this year, but. Uh, um, Oh, that's a greatness. I love it. Oh, oh, oh. The the one shirt that I absolutely did have to buy, though, was actually done by Gary Sarley's booth. Uh-huh. And um, it said, um, coexist. Now, you've seen the coex- the typical sort of coexist bumper sticker where they've made the letters out of the different religious symbols? Yeah. Well, this one was uh, made from different... Uh, logos of sci-fi and comic books and games. Nice. And so, you know, the S was like Superman 
S and the, nice. the O was a Death Star and yeah, it was inspired. <laughs> oh, that's greatness. Uh, uh, that's fantastic. I know uh, my uh, it was Cat just got um, my baby daughter a uh, a baby onesie. It's pink, but uh, in small letters on it, it says, uh, "That's no moon. It's a space station." Nice. Uh, <laughs> like you know what? That's pretty funny. Uh, very cool. Excellent. Well, all right, guys. Let let's leave Gen Con for a bit and get into uh, Celebration Five. Um, so. Seb five wrapped up last week. Let's start for those who, who may not be aware. Maybe they've been living under a rock, you know, on Mars or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, who don't know what Star Wars Celebration is? So for, for the unaware, can you can you give like a history of this event? What is Star Wars Celebration? What's it about? Where does it take place? Uh, does it happen every year? What what's 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 the skinny on Star Wars Celebration? Sterling, you mind if I take this one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, personally, I've been to three of them, uh, three, four, and five. Uh, the first one was originally, I believe, in Colorado. Uh, I'm not – I can't remember right off the top of my head where the second one was. The third and f- third one was in Indianapolis. Fourth one was in L.A., and then the fifth one was down here in Orlando in my neck of the woods right now. The, the original one started when they were releasing episode one, and they wanted to hype it up and bring all the fans together, and they were using it as a marketing arm. Uh, that grew, so they came out with the second and the third. The fourth one was actually marking the 30th anniversary of Episode Four, uh, out in LA. Uh, that by f- was they've continually getting lar- getting larger. I don't know if they have a final numbers yet on the uh, event down here. And then of course this one, this time being the 30th anniversary of Episode Five. So logically, we could. Think that well in three years when episode six has its thirtieth anniversary, will very likely be celebration six. Uh, the rumor that I'm hearing is Vegas, which I think will be awesome. But it's a convention put on by Lucasfilm. You know, this is George Lucas putting his own convention on. Not hey, here's a section of Star Wars at a bigger at a big con. This is all Star Wars all the time. Uh, I, there was over. Uh, like at any given time, there were 12 different things anybody could be doing at the con, whether it was a panel on the Clone Wars, watching fan films, um, going to the dealer's hall and being just amazed by how much stuff that is gathered there, the exclusives for the show, uh, the art area, the Stormtrooper helmet project, uh, TK project, I believe they're calling it. The droid room, the 501st, this is their biggest show, you know, showing of, of troops and everybody. In fact, I'm look, I'm going to Dragon Con this next weekend, and I'm actually curious to see how deflated it will be because that's generally the 501st biggest show because that's where they started at. And I know it being only two weeks apart, there's a, there's a lot of people that had to choose one or the other, and, and well, Celebration 5 is the easy target. Yeah, you could tell it was not being run by the same organization this year. Being Gen Con. Gen Con used to run both. Right. Uh, Celebration 4, yeah, they had a lot of fallout from that uh, yeah. when they ran when they ran 4 and with their bankruptcy and everything else going on. But, yeah, it was a different company. It was actually, I believe they're out of Chicago or Con- – uh, actually, no, Connecticut. Yeah, it's and, Reed or something like that. Yes, Reed. 
I think they did a great job. Uh, you know, there's always room for improvement, but they're, you know, they're sending out uh, questionnaires to, to people and, and getting more feedback, and, and hopefully they'll do something better on the next one. I personally uh, got involved in the Jedi Knight part of the project, uh, which was the VIP pass. There were two levels of VIP, Jedi Knight and Jedi Master. Jedi Master got some special meet and greets with Dave Filoni, some artwork, uh, and several of the several of the other voice actors, I believe, of Clone Wars. Uh, but both levels got uh, half-hour access early into the dealer's hall at the beginning of the day. We had uh, blocked-off seating for the main uh, stage, Jedi Master actually had it for that stage and the digital screen, digital stage. Overall, it was I would definitely say it was worth the you know the average, regular ticket was 120, the Jedi Knight was 350, and it was worth it. That getting in the half hour early, I was able to get the exclusives that I wanted. I was able to get in to I, I was there when we saw the main event with George Lucas. I was six rows back, dead center. Right in front of you know the man himself and John Stewart, so it was amazing. Now Sterling was uh, have you been to Seb before? Or was this your first Seb? No, this is the first time I went. Um, ah. for, for well, for me, you know, it was always hard to justify going to Gen without going to Gen Con all the time uh, for freelancing. It was always hard to justify going to celebration. Although I probably should have tried to go when it was at Indy. That would have been simpler, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, so th- this year I made made it work by uh, you know using uh, some free airline miles I had and so forth and that helped out a lot because being a week after Gen Con that's a little rough on the finances. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had friends that did not go to Gen Con specifically so they could go to Celebration Five. Most notably, uh, um, I know I know Duncan uh, Vaderson um, made that choice. So. Yeah, yeah, I got saw, to hang out with. Oh, go ahead, sir. Uh, no, I was gonna say I saw somebody in one of the Thursday panels with a. Uh, I never listened to the Order sixty six T shirt on. Nice. I, meant, I was gonna try and get over and say hello or find out who they were, but uh, something happened at the end of the panel. I got distracted, and then by the time I remembered, it was already split up and gone. So. I myself did get to hang out with Duncan, and actually Sterling, you and I ran into each other in the hall. Yeah. Um, Right, I, th- I think you were heading into the Star Wars shop, and then I was heading to one of the panels. But uh, Duncan, I ran into several times, and he actually joined me for Disney ran a special event with the Star Tours ride, and they literally the whole park, the uh, Hollywood Studios park, they shut it down from like six o'clock on for only the Star Wars geeks. We took over Disney Studios, and they had it was the last ride, last tour to indoors, what they were calling it. So you had this was the last chance to ride the ride before they shut it down, and now they're revamping it, which will it's due out by Star Wars weekends next year. But Duncan and his wife uh, came out as well to uh, Last Horde Indoor. Uh, we got to sit in. They modified the Indiana Jones ride or show to be Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Well, we we picked the middle show. George Lucas was in the audience. Uh, Anthony Daniels. Pretty much everybody that hit, all the bigwigs that had come out there for from Hasbro, Lucasfilm, etc., they were all in the audience. The uh, Seth Green and all the guys from Robot Chicken, including Seth Green's wife, was out there. It was amazing, and we ended up sitting second row, and they all walked within like six, seven feet of us. It was great. Uh, Anthony Daniels, Seth Green, and the girl that plays Aura Singh—I can't remember her name off the top of my head—all were pulled into the show as extras. 
as the uh, anybody that's seen the Indiana Jones show, they pull people out of the audience to be involved. So it was funny to see them running around in, in Haji outfits and whatnot. And it was it some of the things that they did, like you know, Indiana. It starts off it's Indiana Jones in the original moment where he's got the cake. He's going for the idol, and the ball rolls down the cave after him, etc. But in in this case, he's got Boba Fett chasing him and fighting with him throughout that process. And through the whole thing, it's Boba Fett harassing him. Uh, there's three different episodes of it. The first one was that part. The second is the uh, like a village scene where um, Mary Marianne, I think, is is her name. Yeah. Karen Allen's gets, character, yeah. Yeah, she gets kidnapped, uh, you know, in, in, in the market. It's that whole scene, but throw in every Star Wars character you can think of, from the bounty hunters to uh, R2-D2 and 3PO, some Jawas, Sand People, everybody was there, including the real Han and, Han and Chewie show up because Boba Fett's chasing Indy the whole time going, Solo, Solo, and he's like, who's this Solo guy? So it was very humorous, very well done. They even make some cracks uh, that directly to George Lucas, and you could look over and see that he was actually laughing. So that's awesome. No, that's fantastic. So, uh, I mean, okay. So uh, the, the events like that, and you, you you've dropped a lot of names, a lot of people there. Um, what what type of people? I mean, who, who all was there? I mean, in terms of, I mean, obviously you mentioned Dave Filoni, a lot of guys from the Clone Wars series. I'm, I'm sure a lot of the the voice actors and so forth were there. But as far as the the films go, um, I know George was there this year. Um, I mean, what other what other actors from the films would would we recognize that that were were there that you know we could breathe the same air they were breathing? Just you know, well, of course, two of the big ones: Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Uh, some of the background people, uh, Gary Kurtz and a lot of the production guys or the uh, prop guys, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but it, it wasn't just, hey, there's that person from that scene. It was also the people behind it. Um, and Gary Kurtz split from LFL after episode five was done, so it was neat to have him come back and see his his take on the on the films and everything that's transpired so far. Yeah, there was a panel of just him that I saw uh, about half of. Actually, I think I had to run out in the middle of it, but uh, it was it was really interesting to sort of hear his take. Now, Sterling, your wife is saying in the chat room that you ended up riding in an elevator with Ray Park. Yeah, I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it kind of goes. Uh, the hotel I was staying in was um, uh, the hotel apparently. Many of the uh, other of uh, the actors and so forth were also staying in since it was across the street, and um, yeah, I got in the elevator at one point, and and uh, two or three other people were in. Well, three other people were in there. One guy gets out at one of the lower floors, and the doors close, and this other guy mentions to the person he's with, "Hey, now you've been in an elevator with Ray Park," and I was kind of like, "What?" Because <laughs> I was completely just not paying attention, and I did see him wandering around the hotel. Um, after that but uh um yeah so i did i also got a chance to meet with meet um with uh, dave filoni um in the same hotel um uh, on thursday evening sort of after the force.net party uh and had a very brief you know sort of introduction got to say who i was and and i'd worked on the rpg and he was like He's like, oh yeah, the wizard stuff. He basically said it's too bad that stuff's going away. So it was nice to see that he that he knew what knew what it was and was familiar with it. So that was that's awesome. That was fun. 
I I have a Ray Park story related from Sam Witwer. Sam was telling me one time a long time ago after the Force Unleashed came out, and and uh, you know he was getting to be known for that. He was at some small convention in California, and he was with a lady friend at a nearby restaurant, and he ran into Ray Park in the ordering line, and he he he, he introduced himself, you know, said, "Hey, by the way, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm Sam, and I'm you know I, I'm this and that and this and that and." And he said Ray was kind of like, oh, okay. And he, you, that, that look of like, you know, I don't know who you are, crazy person. or <laughs> like, yep. like, you know. And then later at the con, um, they were both signing autographs like two spots away from each other at a table. And Ray looks up and sees Sam at the table signing autographs. And Sam waves at him. And he says Ray gives him this double take like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, so you weren't blowing smoke up my butt. Okay, who are you? <laughs> great. I thought that was great, but uh, speaking of Sam, okay, so of course there's this uh, a lot of Force Unleashed stuff there at the Star Wars dot com booth. You could go up and uh, they would for free uh, take a picture of your head, <laughs> yes. paste it on Sam's body, um, and there's two different versions, <laughs> and uh, some of them came out much better than others. Yeah, mine didn't turn out all that well. I look really no, my, funny with Sam's hair. <laughs> yeah, mine didn't turn out so well. The one right, the guy right in front of me, he had a really, really awesome one because you could see him pop up on the screen before they print them, and he his came out really well. And I got mine, and I was like, "All right, my head's like a third too big for this shot, or something. Something was just off." Yeah, they had that, and then they also had the Han Solo and Carbonite, so you can get yourself frozen in Carbonite. Awesome. Or you could, or you could be, uh, you could replace Boba Fett's helmet. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which, uh, you know, if I get a chance to be frozen in carbonite, I'm going to go for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, okay, yeah. I, I've seen some of the pictures online, and I saw some of these giant set pieces and and uh, props they had in from, like, Belgium or somewhere. The the yes. Belgium 50 guys, George Lucas sent them a couple trailers and said, fill it up. And they brought all the stuff out with them. What What all did they have? <laughs> Gigantic, uh, or, well, a life-size TIE fighter. Yeah, a TIE interceptor. Uh, Millennium Falcon set was basically the chessboard and the hallway. Cool. Yeah, and yeah, next to that hallway, they also had like R2-D2 with a little computer screen showing graphics, and they had uh, a little area that looked like uh, a very small piece of the Death Star control rooms and doors. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, I, saw some, a, I saw a picture with a snow speeder. Yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, that was over in the Rebel Rebel, Rebel Legions area. Yeah, yeah you could had, actually get snow- into it and sit down in the, the snow speeder and get pictures. There were two different life-size uh, Jabba the Huts. Uh, one with a lot of uh, other members of his court around, and the other one was pretty much just him. Well, the other one is General Giant specifically, and uh, they. Okay continually had slave layers at it either like ones that they brought model you know it was funny as talking to them because the difference being the ones that they brought were models they're just there to be to look pretty in slave lay outfit then you've got the others that are the you know the fans the female fans that are there in costume and going up and, and laying on job to get pictures so <laughs> It was a huge slave lay picture when they, they, they had all of them together. I don't even know how many total they had, but it filled the screen easily. Wow. <laughs> they had uh, bodyguards front and back. Uh, they actually had people behind it saying, you know, saying the girls were asking no one to take pictures from behind. 
<laughs> oh dear. Yeah, oh. it was kind of sad. Okay, so Chris, obviously you 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 really enjoyed the the ride and, and some of the other things. Sterling, what was there an event or a, a, something that that you that you took part in that that just totally blew you away? Um, actually, probably the Force.net party that was on Thursday night. Really? Um, yeah, the Force. They had a um, uh, one, one of the organizers uh, I met last year at Gen Con that was one of the organizers, well, or at least one of the participants in uh, the uh, uh, breakfast that they did for Aaron Alston last year. Uh, I met them. Uh, met her last year and then this year she was the one running this party so i found out about it and it was also online and it basically started growing on them pretty quickly so they ended up changing venues and uh it was a really amazing um really amazing party uh because the people that were that showed up to it was um a real who's who of sort of who's involved in star wars right now and uh uh, I mean, because it's Force.net, obviously, it's a lot of fans. But, I mean, at one point, uh, pretty far into the evening, I look around, and there's Star Wars novelists and, and comic book people and uh, 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 Dave Filoni, that's, you know, d- director of Clone Wars. Um, there's, uh, gosh, I'm blanking out on, on a number. Oh, editors from uh, Del Rey, uh, the Star Wars Insider um, just a big array of people, and so it was very interesting uh, to to meet meet some of those people and talk to them, and and then just the party itself. Even beyond the beyond that, they they had a band um, that was playing Star Wars theme music, and oh, they did a rock and roll version of uh, oh the Ewok song at the end, of, the original Ewok song. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they, they, when they announced they were going to do that, yeah, yup, yup, that's right. Um, um, yup, yup. Yup, yup, yup. Uh, when they announced they were going to do that, we were all like, okay, this is either going to be really good or really, really bad. And it started off all right and then kind of got, yeah. It just kind of became, I wouldn't say bad, just nondescript. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but then it was very you know, when they would kick in the band, it was so loud. Oh my gosh, that was a bit of a problem. But uh, for for anyone who was trying to talk, but uh, one of the other things that was there was um, um, there was somebody had taken some of the Star Wars minis, the Dejeric minis, and made a little Dejeric table and put them out on there and had some rules that I guess were online. And so they were sitting there playing Dejeric. At the at the party, nice. Um, but all in all, that was just yeah, that was that was a fun time. Um, you know, getting around, seeing the panels was good. Uh, had a, had you know some some of which you know got to see things like the Delray panel where they're talking about the upcoming books, or you know there was uh, writing seminars with the three current um, uh, legacy of the Jedi authors, uh, Aaron Alston. Um, Troy Denning and Christine Golden. I got to two of them. I didn't get to Christine's, but I got the other two, and uh, um, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, trying to think what else. Uh, I saw one of the panels with the model the people who do the models uh, for Star Wars and Empire in particular. Um, and since everything everything had an overall Empire th- Empire Strikes Back theme this year. 
mm-hmm. uh, since it was the anniversary. Um, so they had a lot of panels also related to that. Um, Very cool. Any other uh, amazing uh, takeaways from the from the from the celebration? I mean, anything that you're just going to remember forever in terms of how awesome it was? Surprises? Oh, go ahead. Well, we haven't even actually hit the uh, some of the major points as well. You had the main event with George Lucas, uh, interviewed yes. by John Stewart. I don't know if this has been you know, shown outside of that out uh, other than maybe a little clip or whatnot on John Stewart and daily show. It's on but, YouTube. <laughs> okay. So but I assume by this point, everybody's seen it then. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, John Stewart getting his own action figure was a pretty cool twist to it for, I don't know if they would have edited it or not, but if you catch the very end of it, they bring out Mark Hamill and they show the little clip about, um, of him making his lightsaber. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, We'll come to this because I want to ask you guys about the new scene and and the the Blu-ray editions that are coming out. But um, we 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 can segue at that point. So the, obviously they announced the Blu-ray edition of the original trilogy, but it's got you know, damn you, Lucas, and the crap you still have on the cutting room floor. They added this new scene, right, to Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. That I mean, to talk talk to us about it. I mean, yeah. Well, I don't think they're adding it. I think it's just being included as a as a deleted scene. Oh, okay. it, so, you, so you, it's not it's not cut into the film. You can just watch it. They, Correct. They, it's still deleted. Yeah, they didn't put it okay. in. Um, and I think that's right because it would, for what it is, it would definitely disrupt the flow of the movie. But it's this. Well, it's the scene where uh, basically Luke is finishing building his lightsaber on Tatooine uh, with the droids outside the, in, in Obi Wan's cave. You know. And I'm sitting there because I, I didn't get to see the whole thing. I saw half of it from one of the overflow rooms because I got managed to get in. Um, and I'm looking at the scene going, okay, obviously I knew this story for a long time, but I had no clue the state actually ever filmed it. Yeah. And and when I was talking to, to Daniel Wallace, who is the author of many of the essential guys, including the Atlas and the Timeline, and he, we were, he, he actually didn't get in to see it, but we were just—I was describing it to him later, and he's—and he was the same way. He's like, I had no clue that that they'd even filmed the scene. I mean, we're just amazed. So, yeah, yeah, it, it was very neat, and it got a great response from the crowd. Of course, you know, Mark Hamill's right there with it. Um, yeah. Ah, uh, that's just and obviously he knew it was filmed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 he did a great introduction to it. Mark was Mark was great. I, I wish I could have made it into his panel, but uh, I didn't. Uh, didn't. I had other stuff I was trying to get into as well. So that's, that's well. The very ending of that, they had uh, Carrie Fisher come out as well, and the I heard, I heard she was a little. Uh... She seemed a little off. Or maybe in her natural state, as some people might know her as. I, I thought she was much more appropriate for... She does like a one-woman show. Yeah, mm-hmm. talks, it's going to be on HBO later this year. Everything she was doing would have been probably all right for that. But for an Yeah, all, she was just, very inappropriate for a family audience. That was I mean, exactly there are kids in the audience right there with us. And yeah. she, her first comment as they hand her the mic is, So, George, are you going to put the sex scenes back in Star Wars? Especially that porn scene between me and Jabba the Hutt. This is why I started doing drugs. It was 
Yeah, yeah. It was just like, what the heck? Whoa! I mean, okay. even John Stewart's mouth just drops. It's like, uh, and uh, uh, all of a sudden everything wraps up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they start. They start playing her off. Well, thanks for coming out. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. It, it did very quickly after that. Oh. They were also running a little long by then, I think. But oh man, not that anyone cared. Oh, that's that's crazy. Oh wow. Okay, so similar to Gen Con, talk to me about the dealer's room because I know it's all Star Wars all the time. I know they have exclusive crap stuff you can't get anywhere else. What was awesome? What did you get? What did you want to get? What what rocked your world in the dealer's hall? Well, for me, the two major things that I I collect the Star Wars maquettes, the Clone Wars, and even the ones that aren't just Clone Wars, but they're they're cartoonized, they're um, beautifully done. Gentle Giant St- uh, Studios puts them together. This year they had an exclusive that was Han sh- just after he's pulled the trigger on the control panel, and it's titled uh, "Boring Conversation." Anyway, and it even has the control panel with a thing of smoke coming up from it. It's just beautifully done. But that wasn't even the crowning achievement for me. I've been hunting after a piece. It's the Clone Wars Padme in the bunny suit that this piece has gone for up to $1,500 on eBay. It was an exclusive. There was a short run of them, and it very hard to get a hold of. I was able to get uh, one of the dealers there to part with it for five sixty-five, And for mm. me, that was just amazing. Uh, awesome. The... The other thing that I found there as well is called uh, Shadows of Tatooine. And subliminal marketing is wonderful. Acme was doing all the uh, money handling for all the artists. So after you go around and you know, you've picked up all the tickets for what artists, you know, what pieces of artwork you want, you had to go stand in this line and wait forever to pay for it. Well, they had several prints along the side of the wall that you're waiting in line for, one of them being Shadows of Tatooine. Uh, by uh, Raymond Swanland. It's, I believe, now that I've researched a little bit more, is also the cover to a book coming out titled the same. Okay. But it's a, you know, very dusty, dark, shadowy picture. But it's got Chewie kind of at the entryway to this this space, and then Han is sitting in the shadow, with the uh, well, he's got his you know DL forty five out, and there's smoke curling up from it. It's just this is the ba- most badass picture I've ever seen of Han and Chewie. Awesome. So I picked that print up as well. Very cool. Sterling? You, Sterling? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, one of the coolest things that I couldn't, couldn't get was, um, because it was sold out, was uh, the, by the artist Chris, uh, Chris Trevis. And some people may recognize his name from Weston Games and, uh, in the far past. But he also does a lot for their Essentials book. Essentials. Who? Uh, their. Uh, and. Why am I blanking on this? Oh, it is essentials. Sorry, I've got D&D essentials on the brain as well. Um, he also but, was the artist in the book that I was talking about, the flip flip book. Right. And uh, But he did a really great print um, of City. Um, and it's Boba Fett looking down on the platform where the, where the Falcon has obviously just landed and you know, Han and Lando and everybody's walking along the uh, along the uh, platform and bridge as the uh, 
as the sun is setting. It was just a t completely amazing print and a really awesome uh, viewpoint and all this stuff. And he sold out within like three hours or something on Thursday Holy. because uh, I think they were, I think all the artists were in the artist area were limited to 250 prints of one print, I think is how it worked. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure of that, but I know that there was some sort of special licensing deal and they could only sell them there. And if they didn't sell them out, they could some starwars.com might pick them up. Uh, but he was gone. And so the rest of this show, he had, he had to sit there and go, well, uh, he could sign stuff, but he's like, I don't have anything else to, <laughs> to, sell. to sell here. Oh, oh, man. Um, but uh, that was a completely awesome print. Um, uh, Obviously, I didn't need to pick any of this stuff up, but there was a there was a booth selling only Star Wars RPG and minis and trading card game stuff. Um, basically, some some game company or some company was just showed up and started selling off the uh, the, the RPG books for basically twenty bucks a piece. They did not have the core rule book. What? Oh! And they didn't have Kotor. They didn't have starships. Um, they said they would have sold more if they would have had the RPG book uh, or the core rule book. Um, and then, of course, they had booster packs and so forth. And there was also a couple of other booths uh, selling uh, single minis. Uh, so you could mm -hmm. find all that stuff at the show. Uh, that was nice to see. Um, just trying to think what else I picked up. I picked up uh, one of the Blue Milk t-shirts. It was one of the celebration t-shirts. Nice. It's basically a label. It looks like a beer label, but it's all for for blue milk. Nice. Uh, picked up a sketchbook from Matt Bush, who is an artist, uh, also another former Western Games artist. Uh, but he does uh, a lot of nice stuff, and he did the. Uh, uh, he was one of the authors on uh, "You Can Draw Star Wars," and he did all those little videos uh, related to showing people how to draw Star Wars that are entertaining. He's got a new twist right now, too, with a zombie Hollywood. So at, in his booth, he had all six movie posters zombie, like done in zombie mode. It was beautiful stuff. Nice. Oh, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Well, okay, so they have – so they're, they're theorizing when the next celebration is going to be. Um, considering all this – are either one of you going to go again? Of course. I hope so. Um. <laughs> Very cool. I I must say it, it would be a bit torn. If they have it in Vegas, wow, that would be... Uh... Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, it, one the nice thing about Orlando, which I'd never been to the convention center down there. I mean, that convention center is so huge. This didn't even fill up like one whole hall of, of the space they had available. I mean, they could easily do it there again and have plenty oh, yeah. of room. They could do it there again and not even be in the same space. What's funny yeah. is we didn't even touch the new convention center they built. Oh, dear. So we were like in a, maybe a quarter of the old building. And so yeah. you see, you've seen like the Gen Con dealer's hall, right? Yeah. And I'm just trying to... There's not an easy way to compare it. The actual dealer's area was smaller, but the hall with the autographs and food court and the and the uh, Star Wars shop was probably bigger. Well, they had in an equivalent area. I would say equivalent area to the dealer's hall at Indy. They had that as a food court, that same area as Laser Tag. Yeah. The Star Wars shop by itself was that big, and then the 
dealers hall itself was one was, was that area was like four times the size of the dealers hall at Gen Con. Wow. I mean, it was just massive. Um, wow. Well, uh, for anybody that wants more information about it or wants to put in their vote for, hey, we'd love it to be at our city. I know Seattle's trying to already do a petition. Uh, Mary Franklin is the person that takes care of all conventions related to Star Wars that Lucasfilm has any kind of presence at, and it's her babies. So um, I think it's mary.franklin at lfl.com or whatever their you know uh, email address would be. That's the person you want to contact. She's got a blog in starwars.com. Uh, Send your, your thoughts, your feelings. If you went to the show and you loved it, let her know because uh, I know she put in an amazing amount of work. I shot her an email back in April or um, actually uh, March. And I didn't even get a response because she was already that deep into work and just couldn't – like I ran into her at the show and she apologized for it because she was just that busy. Wow. And somebody else that I saw there was uh, Pablo Hidalgo who now runs StarWars.com, but he was uh, a freelancer with West End Games. Uh, and he was running the behind-the-scenes stage. And uh, so it was fun to see him again and uh, um, and he had a really good time running the stage. And oh, oh one of the – panels that was a lot of fun to go to was one called um, uh, the dark side, something like the dark side covers everything. And the panel consisted of two people, Pablo and uh, Dave Filoni, director of Clone Wars. And it was them talking about basically um, the uh, all the EU backstory stuff that the kind of conversations that a lot of fans would have. And it was really fun to see them have that level of conversation, uh, which apparently they talked about having at one of the other shows, but felt like this was the one to have it at because it's for the all the you know you wouldn't have a lot of just other fans wandering in just to see something about Clone yeah. Wars because it wasn't just about Clone Wars, but it did talk about, um, it, yeah, uh, it didn't talk about a lot of general stuff. It talked about really specific things like the changes to the Mandalorians or, uh, you know, how they, how they deal with, um, uh, different aspects of what's going on with clone wars versus the rest of the EU and so forth. And that was a really good panel. Awesome. It really showed how much, how much, uh, Dave really understands the universe at large and, and is interested in making things work. Although, the moral of the story or, or the, the takeaway was if George wants it, that's going to happen more than likely. <laughs> I, I have heard Dave Filoni being lauded as an individual who it, rather successfully and as well as he can um, meshes the idea of, of what Uncle George wants with at the same time he is an EU junkie and he has a great respect for the expanded universe canon, quote-unquote, as what it is, and does his best to stay true to it in little ways as he can. And uh, I think that's a good statement for him. But, gentlemen, I think it's time to bring this conversation to a close. I, we, we've, we've successfully tapped a great deal. I know we could probably talk for hours about Celebration on its own. But I want to thank you for, for literally, this is kind of an atypical discussion for us. Uh, but, you know, hey, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a Star Wars fanatic. And you two, over the past month, have gotten to experience some of the best of that fanaticism. And uh, thank you for taking your time to come on and just share it all with us. It's, this has been fun. 
Oh yeah, lots of fun. I'm glad you guys gave me the invitation to do so. Sure. Yeah, it's been great. Fantastic. Loads of awesome sauce. Loads of awesome sauce. Well, again, thank you to our guests for joining us, and uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in and getting us questions and all that. And if you guys have any questions for the podcast or any show topics you'd like us to discuss, contact us, of course. As we said, GM Chris at d20radio.com, GM Dave at d20radio.com. Call us. Leave us a bumper, for Pete's sake. No one's left us a bumper in a couple weeks. Call the Lusa line, 206-600-5872. Tell us who you are and why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do, do it, it now. now. Don't wait for the translation. While you're thinking about it, exactly. <laughs> With green envy uh, for our wonderful guests and uh, thankfulness for their taking of the time. This is GM Chris saying uh, good night, good luck to all of you, and peace, love, and good gaming. Yep. Keep the dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? This is Darth GM, sometimes called GM Phil, and welcome to the 59th episode of Fragments from the Rim. The ability to get off multiple melee attacks in a round is uncommon in Saga Edition. When the game first came out, the rules tended to favor a highly mobile melee character, one who moved around the battlefield and struck out one attack at a time. It certainly did not favor the chance for someone to use the double and triple attack feats or the dual weapon mastery feat all too often. Over the years, new options have emerged to help characters utilize these multi-attack abilities with increased frequency. Some of them are obvious, like certain talents that allow a character to make a full attack action as a standard action. Some of them are less apparent until you really think about the ability's application. This is the case with the feat follow-through. Follow-through can be found in the Jedi Academy training manual on page 23. With this feat, if you deal enough damage to your opponent with a melee attack to reduce them to zero hit points, you can immediately move up to your speed. You can use this ability once per turn. It also states that if you have the cleave feat, you may move up to your speed before making the extra melee attack granted by the cleave feat. I really like this feat because it helps a highly mobile melee fighter get around the battlefield as they dispatch their foes. I also like this because it grants a nice benefit to an old favorite of mine, cleave. Cleave seemed really useful when it came out back in D&D 3rd Edition, but its usefulness wanes as the characters progress in levels. It's great for mowing down stormtroopers and battle droids, but when you're fighting bosses and lieutenants, the odds of you being able to be the one to drop the opponent to zero and to have another opponent within range is low, especially if your GM is following the list as presented by GM Chris. This allows you to drop a character to zero and move to someone else to get in your cleave attack. Another point is that it doesn't require an action to make this move. It simply says, immediately. That means that if you're lucky enough to be granted a bonus attack during someone else's turn and drop the target to zero, you can move up to your speed right then and there. It doesn't say it avoids attacks of opportunity, though, so keep that in mind. But how does this relate to double attack and triple attack? 
While it's not specifically spelled out, it could be judged that because it says you immediately move after dropping a target to zero, and doesn't state that movement costs an action, you could use this movement in the middle of a declared full attack action. So if your first to hit drops the target, take your move to another target and finish your attacks. But is this balanced? I feel it is. Because it only works when a target is dropped to zero, and the bonus movement is subject to attacks of opportunity. Plus, this feat is not a bonus feat for any class, so it's going to eat up one of those coveted character feat choices that comes only every third level. There's no official errata that spells this out, but that's how follow-through works in my games. But even without this, I still think it's a nice feat for a melee character to take. That's all today, my mobile melee masters. If you have any questions, send them along to d20darth at gmail.com. Until next time, Gamer Nation, 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim.